What up? It's uh, No Concessions, and we're back for another week of movie chit-chat. Uh, no Concessions is a movie podcast where we explore subgenres of film. This week's subgenre is movies that were overshadowed by similar but worse movies. Today, we're <laughs> here with Charles and Charles. Yes. Yeah, we're both back. Charles and Charles, welcome. Who's who? Which is which, Charles? How do we know how you spell your names? Hmm? There's got to be an atypical spelling of Charles somewhere. There, you'd be surprised that there's not. <laughs> One of us has the S and the E transposed. We won't say which, though. One of us can say the N-word. <laughs> <laughs> We're the Miles Morales and Peter Parker of this podcast. <laughs> Holy shit. What an opening. <laughs> Thank you both for joining us this week. Uh, today we're reviewing 1994's The Shadow, starring Alec Baldwin. And, of course, we've got the title segment at the end, No Concessions, where we make a case for one of our favorite movies, or least favorite. I'm sure we're doing favorites again this week. I was actually thinking of a least favorite Yeah, I also one. have a least favorite this okay, week. Okay, we're doing right. least favorites. <laughs> See, Charles, Peter Parker, and Miles Morales are on the same page today. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, before that, let's get into our first segment. Charles has a presentation for us. I sure fucking do. So, I feel like in the cultural context of when our today's episode subject, The Shadow, came out, a lot of people may not have known that it was an adaptation. But not of a comic book. It was. This is not a comic book movie. It's a. The Shadow is a pulp novel character from that literally predates Superman by almost a decade. So Batman before, as well. Yeah. Well, Batman's about five years younger than Superman. Yeah, because uh, Bruce just turned seventy-five this year, and. Oh, it's weird how he doesn't age in the comics, but he's got a son who's like 12 years old. Yeah, they really uh, they really fucked that up with the New 52, but that's for a different podcast. Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> and then uh, Clark turned 80 last year, so yeah, there is a, there's a bit of a gap. But yeah, superheroes were not a thing uh, when The Shadow was created, but that kind of led me to the, like, the idea of other films that were adaptations that people probably don't know were adaptations. So is Die Hard on the list? Die Hard is on the list. Really? Yes. Die yeah. Hard is an adaptation of the novel Nothing Lasts Forever. Uh, the book came out in 1979. Uh, it was by Roderick Thorpe. It was actually... Uh, Frank, Frank Sinatra was the in the first adaptation of this book. Uh, the... Uh, Nothing Lasts Forever is actually a sequel to a book called The Detective. Frank Sinatra was in the first adaptation of the film, and then it was readapted into Die Hard in the 80s. So what did Frank Sinatra have to do with Die Hard? Uh, he's one of the terrorists. <laughs> well, he's uh, <laughs> He sings terribly. <laughs> <laughs> he's, uh, he's John McClane. <laughs> My question is, how was that original adaptation and what the fuck is that book like? So I didn't, I really just like found a few listicles and was like, wrote them down. I'm going to have to do some research into this one in particular because it's very interesting to me that Frank Sinatra was both in the original and like the first adaptation of this book series and also contractually had to be offered the role when the film was being made again. That's so crazy. There's like a weird thing in his contract where like, uh, well, Frank's still alive, and we're making a book. We're making a movie based on the sequel to the book that he was in the adaptation for. So we have to legally offer him the same role. And then, and production ended up pushing it back another ten years, and Sinatra wasn't able to take it. Yeah, because or chose he's not to. dead. Yeah, he's fucking gone. Maybe it would have been I'm better gonna... if he had done it though, because then we wouldn't have Die Hard. What six yeah, now? How be... many have there been? I think we're five deep. In but I will argue that then we wouldn't have Die Hard with a Vengeance, which is arguably one of the best movies ever made. Arguably, a apparently the FBI or some government agency reached out to the film crew to say hey, what's going on here? Because this heist that you have planned in the movie is a little too sophisticated. <laughs> really? Hell yeah, that makes me so stoked. Because that's that's probably one of the best heists ever, ever done. I was just like, yo, that's very complex. And this fucking 12-year-old managed to unravel it while he was stealing fucking potato chips and candy bars. 
Well, it's been a long time since I've seen it. What is it? They call in a bomb threat to a school, and then while police are over there, they steal gold from a bank? Yeah, so what happens is they set off a bomb in, like, midtown Manhattan or some shit, and then they call the police and say, yo, we've got a bomb in a school somewhere, and if you evacuate any of the schools, we're going to fucking blow it up. So, chill. (laughs) And then, at the same time, they have planted several bombs around the city and John McClane and Zeus, uh, Samuel L. Jackson's character. Hey, have, Zeus. <laughs> hey, Zeus. Hey, Zeus. No, he's saying, hey, Zeus. <laughs> yeah, it was, I fucking love that movie. <laughs> but uh, yeah, John McClane and Zeus go around disarming different bombs around the city. But one of them was planted in a subway station right next to the Federal Reserve. And so they blew up that bomb uh, in in the subway station with the Federal Reserve, and they came dressed as cops and pretending to be cops and cleared out all the gold while people were, like, scrambling from the bomb. It was fucking sick. They earned it. Yeah, absolutely. I would have just let them keep the gold. Fuck it's it. insured. Yeah. Who cares? Exactly. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Next one up I wrote down is uh, Weird Science. Weird so Science far. is an adaptation of a comic book from the 50s. It, it was a, a very horny book. <laughs> it was a um, anthology, you know, sci-fi anthology comics were big in the 30s and 40s and 50s. And uh, this is adapted specifically from a story called Made of the Future, in which a man is uh, abandoned by his fiance And very horny. And very horny. And some time travelers are like, yo... You shouldn't be so lonely and horny. And they take him to the future and he gets a like Android wife that's like perfectly tailored to be a wife. And so obviously John Hughes like changed a bunch of the shit, like taking out the time travel and the fiancés and making the protagonist uh, two horny teens. The fucked up where that's the reason why I'm like concerned about this diehard adaptation, because it doesn't actually sound like the book would be anything like so a lot of these are the ones that i was able to find they're like very some of them are more heavily adapted than others yeah but it's also because like they have to be adapted for the time i mean yeah the movie the book that Die Hard's based off of is a sequel from a book that was written in the 50s so obviously there's like some updating that has to take place yeah Um, there's like some context stuff like setting it in la and then the same thing with weird science like it's an adaptation of a, a comic book from 40 years before the movie came out it's almost as if these things aren't actually adaptations and they're just using the property for some reason. Yeah, they're like similar enough that they legally have to be like, hey, this is an adaptation of this. But by the time it makes it to a filmable point, it's been you know, rewritten so many times. Okay, fair enough. Now, for a more modern example of that, Annihilation, which came out only a year or two ago, that's based off a book of the same name, which also came out within the last five or ten years or so but the movie is nothing at all like the book damn that sucks that's uh, yeah other than a, a team of like female scientists investigating some weird sort of shit. yeah this other shit. than that once they cross into the barrier where the laws of physics cease to apply they stop being the same story the movie was better really well, yeah that, that's rare all right, the next one I wrote down was uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. What? Based on the book, Madam Doubtfire. <laughs> I think they improved the title there. It's the original. The book is set in the UK, obviously by the you know Madam Doubtfire. Instead of a very hairy man <laughs> fooling his own family into believing that he is a completely different woman, um, the two elder children in the book recognize almost immediately that it's just their dad but in the book they're still he's still able to fool the mom and the youngest child who's like i don't know like six or something so that makes sense but the mom was like what the fuck like what are you you're a grown woman who was married to this man long enough to have three children oh boy uh, the parent trap was one that i was also surprised to see was an adaptation also based on a book by a German writer. It was a short, well, it's a short story, not really a book. Uh, but it's like the same shit. It's literally 
twins separated at birth try to get their parents back together. It's been adapted a bunch, twice by the Disney company alone. Yeah, that's actually kind of uncanny. They did one, what, in the 70s and another one with Lindsay Lohan? 61 and, and 98. So the one in 61 had those creepy uh, blonde actual twins. And then the Lindsay Lohan one, which, honestly, the plot kind of falls apart in the last third. But <laughs> acting-wise, that movie holds up. Like, it's pretty solid. Okay. That's good to hear. I, like, revisited it recently because a movie podcast I listened to talked about it. And I expected it to be bad. And it's not. Now watch out, guys. You got competition. It just <laughs> there's another movie podcast out there. <laughs> We're the only movie podcast. We well, have a podcast to... that talks about books. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> mentioned Lindsay Lohan once, and I went into it. I mean, there's I didn't really write anything down about it, but uh, there's the book that inspired Hugh Friend Roger Rabbit, who censored Roger Rabbit. Who censored? Yeah. Oh damn. Get all. It's very topical. Get everybody who's on Twitter complaining about right wing censorship. Turns out Roger Rabbit was a Nazi, <laughs> <laughs> and he was tired of Twitter censoring him. It's. Can you imagine Alex Jones having Roger Rabbit as a guest talk about how he's being censored? Well, in the book, uh, the actual Roger Rabbit is murdered, and a doppelganger is who Eddie Valiant is like trying to track down. And find out like what the fuck happened. It also obviously doesn't. The novel doesn't have you know the licensed characters and shit. Does it have like the horny woman in it? It does, in fact, have a horny woman in it. Okay, she's also a cartoon, but you know, she's still a horny woman. Okay, yeah, makes sense. I've I always try to figure out like when when people do these adaptations whether or not they add in the horniness afterwards, and like they're like, oh. Well, we got to have something that appeals to young boys. No, there's a horny cartoon woman in the book as well. Good. Um, and then just two more quick ones that are technically adaptations, but the movies like differ quite a bit. Well, one of them doesn't differ that much, and one of them differs a lot. Uh, the Adams Family, based on the Adams Family comic strip, that one I only I put on the list because the Adams Family is a movie that's coming out later this year. I hope Christina Ricci's in it again. She is not. Boo. It's a CG film, and the art style is heavily inspired by the original comic. And then uh, Men in Black. Yes. Based on a Marvel comic. Uh, Which from is the, terrible. It's bad. Uh, and the stuff that they changed. So the, the comic is based on the esoteric idea of the Men in Black paranormal figures, sometimes supernatural, sometimes extraterrestrial, that show up around incidences of high strangeness and seem to be off in a variety of ways, never quite human, dating all the way back to the 15th century and just kind of being adapted for whatever time period the stories are being told in. The films take that and completely shift it in the other direction where they're humans, they're humans keeping track of... They're the TSA for aliens. Yeah, effectively, before the TSA existed because yes. 9-11. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. One thing that I thought about, actually... Very, very much so today, inspired by the movie that we watched, based on how diverse it is. I was like, dude, like the movies in the 90s and before were pretty diverse. What happened between the 90s and now to make movies less diverse? Yeah, something happened between like 1992 and like 2010. Yeah, something, we like, maybe, maybe something in 2001. Hmm? <laughs> maybe 9 11. Maybe something in 1994 <laughs> that also affected the World Trade Center. <laughs> no, but I literally think it was 9 11. Yeah. Like, where it switched hard. Because, like, when you look at movies from the 90s, with the exception of a handful, I mean, I guess more more things were coming out, but like it was largely pretty diverse when yeah. you were looking at stuff. Like this movie, I'm surprised that Genghis Khan wasn't played by just some white dude. Yeah, how many of the actors who were who were Chinese characters are actually played by Chinese actors? It's pretty, yeah, pretty I think all out. the bad guys were Asian. Too. Yeah, dude. It's and Tim Curry. And Tim Curry. Tim Curry is a white whole dude. other type of guy. We'll get to him too. Sorry, the way I, the way I said that seemed may have implied that Tim Curry is playing an Asian man. He is playing a white man. He just also happens to be a bad guy. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, after the break, we'll get to our review of the Shadow. All 
Hey, it's Denzel, and I'm here to remind you that in the show notes, as well as on the website, you can find a link to the Suggest a Review form, where you can suggest a review that we should do for the show. If there's something that you want to see, then put it in there. All right. Bye. Enjoy the show. And we're back talking about 1994's The Shadow, which was released on July 1st, 1994, directed by Russell Mulcahy. Mulcahy. I don't know how to say that. I can't help you there. (laughs) Produced by Martin Bregman, Willie Bear, and Michael S. Bregman. Oh, brothers. Screenplay (laughs) by David Kopp, based on The Shadow by Walter B. Gibson, starring Alec Baldwin, John Lone, Penelope Ann Miller, Peter Boyle, Ian McClellan, Jonathan Winters, and Tim Curry. Music by Jerry Goldsmith. Cinematography by Stephen H. Borum. Edited by Peter Honus and Beth Jankum Besterveld. It's Jokem? Jokem. But whatever. It had a budget of $40 million and box office of $48 million and a runtime of 108 minutes. This week's subgenre is movies that were overshadowed by similar yet worse movies. Overshadowed. Pun intended. Did everybody catch that? Uh, do please forgive the noise in the background for this episode. Hopefully it acts as some sort of ASMR for you as you <laughs> listen to this. The problem is it's fucking hot. It's hot as shit. And I can't keep the doors closed in my apartment because it's so fucking hot we're suffering as is with the door open yes it's i'm fu- i'm over here fucking melting bro i'm melting i might actually lose weight at this rate <laughs> all right well anyway people in san diego are so weak i just want everybody to know it's only 76 degrees right now and we're all dying well hold on. i was in riverside today and it was 96 <laughs> we don't know how hot it is in this apartment it might be 76 yeah. outside but it's probably like 80 something honestly here. we could probably if there was space we could record this on your patio and probably be slightly more comfortable <laughs> just at the expense so of the noise yeah, yeah. At this rate, like you'll hear the noise sometimes, sometimes you won't, because it's mostly coming in through my mic. So I say this movie is overshadowed, pun intended, because one, this was after we had two Tim Burton Batman movies, and The Shadow does kind of feel like those movies, but like if they were good and at me and... (laughs) (laughs) But also, 94 was fucking dense with movies. Uh, 94 was Ace Ventura, The Mask, The Lion King, uh, Clerks, The Crow, Dumb and Dumber, Forrest fucking Gump, Leon the Professional, Pulp Fiction, Shawshank Redemption, Speed. Like, there were a bunch of fucking movies that came out of 94 that were all very well received. Dude, Speed is fucking sick. Speed is dope. Speed fucking holds up. Ooh, baby. And I feel like it that was all to the detriment of like the shadow just got buried in that and we'd already seen Batman twice. <laughs> just real quick, I forgot to mention that this was one of the suggestions from the website or from the little list that we've been curating on suggested movie reviews that we should do. And this one comes from Willard TK. Thank you for the suggestion. And we'll get back into the review now. I feel like this movie got buried in just how many movies came out. Uh, during this year and like the fact that only made eight million dollars over its budget is wild because this movie is very good i'm surprised that it actually exceeded its budget it's compared to all the other movies that you just listed if you were to tell me in the year of our lord 2019 that an opium dealer from tibet yes who is white comes back to the U.S. and fights crime, I would laugh at you. Using magic powers. Using magic powers that he learned from a bald man. With a magic flying knife. Yes, a very mean flying magic knife. But I would have just laughed at you. This turned out actually pretty all right, man. This is this movie is crazy. So it starts out with Alec Baldwin, who's some fucking just drug lord. Inexplicably, in a white dude with an opium den... In Tibet, <laughs> he's really and just gross fingernails gone full, just 
Uh, gone native is an offensive phrase, but yes, yes, <laughs> lack of a better term. Assimilated. Yeah, How about yeah, he's that? assimilated to their culture. The thing that uh, the Nazi Roger Rabbit, yeah. who was censored, constantly complained about <laughs> on his Twitter feed before he was kicked off of Twitter. Actually, no, he wouldn't have been kicked off of Twitter. They would have just let his account rock. Yeah, he just would have kept going, and then his YouTube channel would have gotten uh, demonetized. Demonetized, and he would have bitched about that forever. Yes. That's the, that's the new way. But anyway, if I could do a Roger Rabbit impression, I'd have a very good bit right now, but I can't, so I won't. <laughs> All right. So, All right. so All yeah, right. he's like full on, like he's got like the grimy long nails that are sharpened. He fucking just like murks a dude, and his he's got like the women smoking opium just around, and it's inexplicably just a few white women just sprinkled in. Yeah. Uh, like we said, it's very diverse. Yes. Yeah. It's like Black Rain, dude, where she's the one gaijin in the building. <laughs> it is weird because that's uh, not part of the the source material. I don't know where that <laughs> got brought out from. And it's kind of inexplicable considering the rest of the movie doesn't really address it ever again. It comes up like for 30 seconds when Shorty is like reading his mind. Yeah. So there's a woman in the movie who's like a mind reader, but she doesn't really know it. And she's just like using her power sometimes. When the plot is convenient. Yeah, she's telepathic, yeah. but like it she brings up that it came up once in her childhood and then again when she meets Lamont Cranston. Lamont. That's I was like, Leonard? The, no. Come on. That Lamont Cranston has to be like one of the low key blackest names I've ever Lamont heard. Lamont Cranston sounds black as fuck. Especially because <laughs> Ernest is set in the forties, like <laughs> Like that's definitely a dude who still does heroin, but also plays the best jazz piano you've ever heard. <laughs> this is the Lamont Cranston Quartet. But uh, this movie does not hold your hand. It's like, this is the universe we're in. Magic is real. This and it's teachable. It's We can teach you yes. how to do it. You've got to deal with it from this point on. Like It's happening. He goes back to New York. Don't worry about how long it took or why he's doing what he's doing. Why this dude, if anyone gets a second chance... Or why he's fucking in Tibet in the first place. And it's so crazy to me that he saves people's lives and then subjugates them. It's like, I, your life belongs to me now. That's how it works. Yeah, like it's like he's still using that drug dealer shit. <laughs> but like for good. <laughs> and really effectively. Yeah. He's got like cops under his purview and shit. He's got doctors. He's got a whole fucking network, including... A weird system of pipes that all goes to one dude who Ex- works the phone. Excuse me, a series of tubes. This movie Ooh. was very far ahead of Predates its time. Predates the internet dude. by after the internet was invented, but it's set in the 40s. <laughs> oh, God. Pneumatic tubes. Crazy. Crazy. I mean, we're the last, we're the last uh, generation or so to remember when post offices and banks still use pneumatic tubes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, R.I.P. those days. Yep. And, and Costco. And Costco. Or no, it was Price Club back when it had those. Damn. Yeah, if you go to uh if you go to a bank with a drive through ATM, you can still see the infrastructure for those pneumatic tubes. They're just not functional anymore. So if you go to a drive a bank with a drive through ATM that's got two lanes, that second lane had a pneumatic has a pneumatic tube built into the wall. That's so sick. I had no idea. Yeah, they just don't work anymore because that's how you because that way you could withdraw larger amounts. Like now, ATMs are electronic, so like it's faster. You know, they don't and they carry much more cash. You can get if you want to take out six hundred bucks from an ATM, you can. But before, you could only take out you know hundred you know hundred two hundred bucks I think at a time, and otherwise you had to go through a teller. But because it was like an intercom system and a pneumatic tube, and they would just send a little capsule full of cash. Uh, directly to your car. Hell yeah, that's how you do it. Anyway, it just you're just in it. Uh, <laughs> one moment he's fighting a magic knife, and the next moment he's holding a mob boss over the Brooklyn Bridge. <laughs> yes, it's very quick, and I, he saves a guy that they put cement shoes on, and they were gonna drop him into whatever river is down there or whatever. What the Hudson, Hudson River? Hudson River, Guanas Canal, maybe. <laughs> I don't know what gets the Hudson River. And he takes out two pistols and he shoots off the cement shoe. It's <laughs> real reckless. <laughs> yeah, dude. You don't want to shoot cement. And this Especially is, with 1940s bullets. Exactly. This is the first time that you get a sense that he actually subjugates people. Because he 
in the car ride back is like, your life is mine. And he was the dude in the car is just like, I got to ask my wife about this. And he's like, no, you don't tell anybody about this shit <laughs> here. Take this giant Gaudi ring. You have to wear this at all yeah, the times. Fact that everyone like, yeah, he's like, you work. Your life is mine. You work for me now. Don't tell anybody about this shit. They drop this, this scientist back off at his house and his cabbie played by Peter Boyle. He's like, hey, here's this ring. Here's some instructions. Fucking mind your business and always be ready. He the saved sun me is too. Shining, but the ice is slippery. Burr, burr, burr. Code phrases: ring. all the agents use to ID themselves to each other. Because the ring wasn't enough, I guess. Yeah. The ring, the ring that you can only get from a specific person, is not enough to identify. And him. how many of these rings does he? Have? Are the are the rings like magically manifested? There's so many people in his network. I I would say so. They yeah. just pop up because they also like just will activate. And it's the 40s, so Wi-Fi is not a thing. Yeah. So the the shadow has this ability. Basically, it's a Jedi mind trick where he can talk people into doing whatever he wants whenever. Yeah, he's the power of suggestion. Yes. Like, it's like telepathic suggestion. It's pretty effective. I do like that every time he uses it, his, like, face is in shadow. Yeah, that that's a cool really effect. Cool. And they only do it, I think, two or three times before they subvert it and it's done really well yeah it, it was a really cool effect because he goes after he saves the dude's life he goes to meet with his uncle at who's this, also the police chief yes and this is how it always works in the pulp novels right like you know you are either related to by marriage or related to by blood the police chief yeah. somehow see the spirit it was his father-in-law or soon to be father-in-law yeah most yes. most uh, pulp and noir stories always have some close if not direct relation to someone who's high up in the police force it just makes it easier for you to be like okay we can be okay with this vigilantism because he knows the police yeah he was one of them and he he leans back into the shadow for the first time he uses it on his uncle and i'm like what the fuck is going on here like this is very corny <laughs> but and then he, he starts using the power and i'm like and there's a little glow in his eyes yeah. too and i'm like oh this is actually really cool it's very interesting the way it's like framed and then literally like 10 minutes later he's talking to margo who he meets just after the same scene uh the scene where he's it on his uncle and uh they go out and they have like a little date and he uh white mans it up and speaks chinese <laughs> uh, speaks mandarin to a uh Chinese restaurant worker. Uh, if you're ever on a date with somebody who uh, does that shit, he like speaks the language of the restaurant you're at. He definitely, he or she definitely picked that restaurant to do that same exact shit. And uh, it's a flex. If they're cool, fuck them. If they're not cool, fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> Context is important, yeah, people. Yeah. So when we're gonna jump around a little bit, because uh, this movie. Just jumping ahead. You're going to want to watch this movie. It's worth watching. For yeah, sure. absolutely. But uh, she gets brainwashed by a resurrected Genghis Khan. Well, I thought it was one of his descendants. So that's what, so that is one thing I was kind of not sure about. I couldn't tell if it was supposed to be because the name on the cough on the sarcophagus is uh, Genghis or, sorry, Khan. Genghis Khan uh, academics who definitely listen to our show. <laughs> Genghis Khan. His birth name is on the it's sarcophagus. Like Toblerone or some shit like that. <laughs> it, starts, it starts with a T. It's a whole thing. Um, but then, yeah, the guy who comes out and comes after the shadow does introduce himself as one of his descendants. So you're right. And at, at the end of the movie, he also says it. He's like, I am the last descendant of Genghis Khan. You're right. but, I, but the movie introduces him as Genghis Khan. Docents or the curators at the museum introduce him as that i think he said he uh waited in the sarcophagus to absorb genghis khan's power oh cool that's pretty dope yeah that also explained how it got delivered inexplicably to that museum yeah 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 so dialogue is important consider me corrected same z's so he also has mind powers and takes over ian mckellen who is, while he only has maybe five lines, maybe has five lines, but he is, for the first couple, speaking with an American accent, which I had never seen before. It's a cool thing. 
Um, and Margot, the woman that uh, Lamont uh, meets at, after he finishes Jedi Mind Tricking his uncle, uh, they go on the date. It turns out that Ian McKellen is her dad and is also working on this like technology that can be turned into a bomb. And spoilers, is turned into a bomb. And uh, Khan's descendant, whose name I can't fucking remember now, even though I literally just watched the movie an hour and a half ago, <laughs> hypnotizes Ian McKellen into turning it into a bomb and also hypnotizes Margot into killing the shadow by sending him after. So he knows that Lamont is the shadow. He meets him. Yeah. He just shows up in the it shadow's like lair. Says, join me. And then... The yeah. shadow refuses. Like, nah. You're the only one who's fit to rule by my side, playboy. You also have Jedi mind powers. Yeah, and also, it, this can't go without being mentioned, but when he's the shadow, Alec Baldwin puts on this like super dumb prosthetic face. Yes! They never was, explained that. That was kind of weird. So there's a scene where he's... After he leaves the club, uh, he gets into, the, into Peter Boyle's cab, and... The cinematography in this movie is really good. And you see him, like, lights are passing by, and, like, you see him, and then you don't. You see him, and you don't. So he's in a tuxedo, and then it goes black for a second, and, like, in the mirror. And then it light hits him again, and he's, like, changed, and he has, like, the... He's got the his the shadow suit on, and then the red scarf he wears over his face. But he has a prosthetic nose on. Yeah, and bushy eyebrows. And it's inconsistent. He's not always... What it probably is, is they have that so that they can have stunt doubles in. Yes. Which would make sense. But in, like, the final scene, or, like, the scenes where he has to take off his hat or, ma- or like, scarf, he notably does not have the prosthetic nose or eyebrows. Yes. It's very hard to watch some in some spots. Yeah. There's some scenes where it's very obvious that, like, there's something on his face. Yeah. But uh, other than that weird prosthetic thing, I will say that a lot of these effects hold up really well. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's a good-looking movie. I don't know if, like, it's been upscaled for the version that I, uh, the version that I bought. Uh, but, like, even the magic knife doesn't look bad. It looks a lot better than the Mortal Kombat graphics that, yeah. like, look very similar. Yeah, like, when it's flying around, it looks better than, obviously, like, the tiny face. Yes. But, like, when it's flying around, it looks like the compositing is done really well. When they're doing those aerial shots of 1940s New York, it's... You can tell it's, like, very early CG mixed with, like, models. Yeah. But it looks pretty good. Like, the compositing is pretty solid. Yeah, Even, like the, like, the... The shadows, like stealth effects and stuff, look good. But uh, Margot gets brainwashed, and she gets sent to assassinate the shadow, goes to Lamont's mansion. He avoids being murdered because Khan only gives him, only gives her one bullet. So he stops her, and then she realizes that, oh, I was sent here to kill the shadow, but you're here. You must be the, it's very quick, you must be the shadow. Also, I can read your thoughts still. And then she just shacks up at his house for like yeah. a week or some shit. Yeah, t- they play fast and loose with time in this movie. Yeah. Can we talk about her waking up the next morning? Because that was one of the probably funniest lines of the entire <laughs> movie. Oh, I dreamt I was naked on a beach. <laughs> she says something the, very, very sultry. And meanwhile, the shadow responds to her by saying, I dreamed I tore off my face and I was somebody else underneath. And those (laughs) effects, real good. Yeah. (laughs) When he's like touching his face and like his hand goes into his cheek and he starts like pulling off his face. That shit looks great. Yeah, dude. That was really nice. That's like some uh, Terminator shit. Yeah. It was uh, also Poltergeist when he's peeling off his Yeah, dude. Very gnarly. I was just like, what's going to happen? And then under his face, he's like Toblerone or Tubeless or whatever this dude's name is. Genghis Khan. We're just going to call him Genghis Khan. Yes, Genghis Khan. He's Khan Jr. Khan Jr. And yeah, that's actually a really sick sequence. I was very impressed, actually. Now, when the face comes out of the fire, not that great. But no. But I did like that portion where it looked like 
it was like a flamethrower that was shooting vertically. Yeah, that's that up until was, the face shows up. Seems pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. And then it's like weird CG superimposed face on the fire, and then great prosthetic use when he's putting his hand into his own face. And then he's just like, you need to go because I'm the shadow and it's dangerous to be around me. And she's like, nah. <laughs> and they fucking, so he's like, all right, fine. If you're going to be around, I need you to help me out. Uh, find out what's going on with this empty lot that I saw earlier in the movie. And he's going around and Tim Curry's like a piece of shit. Uh, we know he's a piece of shit because he hits on Margot early in the film. And she's like, with, not in With it. the grossest elevator eyes I've ever seen in a yeah, movie. That's. Is that when they look down and then up? Multiple times. Yeah. Oh, hell he yeah. did when not like stop doing just it. cornering her in the hallway like three times. <laughs> yeah. There, you haven't seen my beryllium sphere. <laughs> he's, he's, he manages to make a hallway with no corners into a room with many corners. <laughs> just <laughs> keeps <by>. trapping her. <laughs> yeah. The elevator eyes. That's the first time I've heard that term. Yeah, it's also the first time I heard that term. I got it as soon as you said it. Yeah, dude. <laughs> but uh, it's. I'm gonna. I like it. I'm gonna start doing it to people more often now. But doing it in a way to ground ex- floor penthouse. <laughs> doing it in a way to express disgust is way better. Yeah, just like. <laughs> it's pretty good. But a- anyway, Tim Curry works with Ian McKellen. That's the link yeah, between so, like, those characters. Him, he's like, I'm a better scientist than this old man. And uh, he's not. And <laughs> Which is why he turns evil. He decides to work with Genghis Khan. And you would think that that would come up later in the film when they like turn it into a bomb. And he's like, uh, Khan Jr. is like, yo, so you're saying you're sure that you can make this bomb for me again. And he's like, yeah, definitely. But it's like it's clear from earlier in the film that he definitely can't. <laughs> but it does. It's not like addressed that way because the shadow mind tricks him into fucking jumping out a window. <laughs> yes, which is great. And that scene where he's shooting up the room, despite not shooting any holes into the room, that scene is actually really sick with uh, Tim Curry, where he's just yeah. spinning around the room with the Tommy shooting. gun. Yeah, yeah, because like there's the scene where they're in the uh, La Mancha's up at the lab. Or no, they he stalks that one dude who at first I was like he's he's in like the full like mid or you know sixteenth century Chinese armor. Yeah, and I'm like this is weird. He just got out of a fucking cab, but then they literally go one block and they're in Chinatown. And I'm like, all right, this isn't as out of place yeah. as it would seem if this were like set now. Yeah. <laughs> it's 1940s. He's right around the corner from Chinatown during a Chinese New Year celebration. Yeah, so you can you can. That wouldn't be so out of place that it would be weird. Yeah. I mean, somebody there would be like, it's some actual historian that's at that party is just like, I just saw somebody dress as a Mongol. We should probably leave. <laughs> that's, that's not a positive thing. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, when he stalks him to that, uh, the Chinese restaurant and, and fucking Con Juniors in an almost identical suit, that immediately brought to mind uh, that scene in Batman Forever. Uh, when Edward Nigma is having that like, uh, like reveal thing for his mind control. That movie's also super dumb. Um, but this is one of the good. It's one of the good moments in it where he's like dressed exactly like Bruce and like even having like the same glasses and shit, and very clearly trying to emulate Bruce Wayne. That's what I thought of when he gets there and they're both wearing like the same navy suit and just like different tie, but they have like the same fucking haircut and shit. But Khan Jr. has a beard, so we still identify him as related to Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan. <laughs> and I gotta look up his original name. They're like having that back and forth where they're like, who's more psychic right now? And then he then Lamont manages to like entrance his goon. But then when he like uses the shadow powers, he still gets shot and he's just like fucking stuck to the wall. Yeah. And then when Tim Curry, they're like in that weird water plant thing he's like he sees his fucking feet in the water and shoots him like they the supernatural stuff is interesting and fun the way it's used but it's still like grounded enough that it's not like he's like a literal wraith yeah except in that real dope scene at the end when he's going up the stairs (laughs) that shit looks great very cool very atmospheric the theme is like 
fucking hitting off. It's real good. Yeah, and also the scene at the end in the Hall of Mirrors. Yes, fucking sick. Oh boy, that looks, that looks dope. Oh yeah, and it still looks really good. It does. Too. That was like one of the scenes because I like I noticed like the knife flying around looked good and like the aerial shots look pretty solid, but it's those two scenes when he's like as a shadow is you know going up the stairs and up the wall and like he manifests at the top of the stairs like that scene looks really cool but then when they're in that like hall of mirrors and he uses the psychic powers like shatter everything and it just looks very cool and holds up if you can picture the hall of mirrors fight from john wick 2 this looked way better than that did (laughs) it's yeah it's fucking solid dude it's really good we're kind of jumping around yes but the plot is real simple but like in a good way it's uh Com jr wants to take this uh this bomb and use it to threaten cities around the world use new york as an example and just like take over again considering that his ancestor controlled more of the world for longer than any other single human being in our history and it's just it's up to the shadow and his network of people who he is enslaved by saving their lives to stop it. Do you think they still have day jobs? Cause it almost seems like being on call for the shadow all the time is it's like itself being a, a full time job. Yeah, it's like being a, a doctor who's on call. You're only like on the clock for like three days a week, but you're just like, you just have to have your little pager on all the time. Maybe they get a opium money stipend <laughs> or something. Yeah. Cause he's clearly still wealthy. Yeah, absolutely. And, and wealthy in a, like an insane way for and like that, that insane forties, like in the same way, like Bruce Wayne is like so cartoonishly rich. So you never think about where his money comes from. And that's the impression <laughs> you get with like Lamont's wealth. Yeah. I'm buying this hotel. <laughs> but yeah, the plot's super simple, but like everyone, like the acting is all pretty solid. The effects hold up 25 years later and it's just a fun film. Like it's really good. Yeah, it is. I'd seen it probably twice before. Once, like, randomly on TV as a kid. And then maybe, like, five or six years ago I watched it. I was like, it was on, like, Showtime or something. And I caught it. And uh, watching it again today, I was like, this is good. This is a this is a solid film. There is one little, just, like, nugget of just great uh, subtle comedy. When the... With the wires? Oh, when the sarcophagus opens up. And there's that guard there. Yeah, and he's just This movie is very funny. So it opens this movie is very funny. But Sarcophagus opens and Con Jr.'s just like standing there. And the guard is like he has his gun and he's like, We're closed. And it's so he like doesn't know what to do. It's like we're closed. It's I lost it. It was like this is so funny and subtle. Yeah. But there are a lot there's a lot of like solid humor in this movie. It never feels like like slapsticky or like cartoonish in any way. It's just a well-crafted film. Yeah, there's a part when Margot is first talking to her dad, Ian McKellen, and he's saying oh, how, about how he confuses the colors red and green. <laughs> and then at the very end, Ian McKellen's trying to defuse the bomb with only a few seconds to go. <laughs> yes. And he's running out of time. So he holds the wire cutters and he says, oh, well, it's usually green. And then Margo <laughs> tries to stop him. No, wait, you're going to cut red. But then he cuts it and obviously the bomb gets defused. That, that had me laugh so loud. Yeah, it's, it pays off. Yeah. Because that's at the very beginning. It's like in the first 15 minutes of the film that that bit is there. And thus, you know, realistic play on uh, male pattern color blindness. Red and green are close enough that they just appear gray if you're colorblind. Or they're indistinguishable. Very solid. Yeah. Sorry I made that joke less funny by explaining it. (laughs) (laughs) Way to go. So you brought in some history about it? Yeah. So the shadow. So if you're not familiar with like pump, like pump, pulp novels and story like you know early pulp and noir stories um they were usually like short stories that would be in like uh magazines and like if you've ever seen those like weird covers of like just ripped chiseled uh white dudes beating up like crabs or bears or some shit on old magazine covers from like the 30s it's that kind of shit where it would just be these like fun adventure stories 
and like so like doc savage is one of those um if you're into dc about 10 years ago they tried to re like kind of research i'm sorry just real quick did you hear about Dwayne the rock johnson playing doc savage yeah that's been going back and forth for like five years has it oh yeah. good i hope it never gets made it was like rumored a while ago and it was like kind of confirmed in 2016 but that was also like after it had been confirmed like quote unquote confirmed that he was gonna be playing black adam and it was like none of these are gonna happen and they haven't <laughs> So I think Jumanji was a direct response to him not being Doc Savage. Because he's very much just that character. Yes. Doc Savage is this inexplicably bronze, ripped adventurer uh, who will just like be in the jungle or in some old ruins. He's Indiana Jones before Indiana Jones. But if Indiana Jones was fucking shredded <laughs> and loved to fight instead of a history professor who could fight but probably shouldn't because he almost gets his ass kicked every single time and usually it's just like a airplane propeller or his gun that saves him yes but it's like stories like that and like the shadow was one of those um he didn't originally have like the supernatural powers that that kind of stuff came later but uh oh i i almost assumed it was like cultural appropriation at the time where like he's in tibet Although apparently that's not part of the yeah, original that story. Was for the like, movie. Oh, it's it's Asian mysticism uh, that he's getting all those that's powers what was from. Going on in the movie. Yeah, I thought that was from the original story. Not part of the source huh, material. I'm surprised. Uh, and the source material. Hold on. Yeah, you're right. That is actually really surprising because if you look at some shit like Johnny Quest, yeah. which is from the same era, you would expect there to be some like real sketchy Asian mysticism type shit or like at least like a really fucked up caricature of an Asian person but you don't have it because for some reason the 90s were way less racist weirdly progressive yeah I guess we shouldn't say weirdly progressive the right amount of progressive yeah <laughs> like we were on a trajectory to have actual like equality because we then, came out of the 70s where there was like you know some of those James Bond films get dicey yeah with the witch doctor are you fucking kidding wild. me wild oh my god and then 9-11 happens and was like no fuck it anyone who's not white is bad <laughs> yeah I, th- I literally think that's it no, it's I, that's likely a huge part of it god uh, if, yeah the government saw that society was becoming too progressive which was why as we all know jet fuel can't melt steel beams 9-11 was an inside job there are a number of <laughs> legitimate reasons to believe that the federal government was at least aware of the plans uh, for that terrorist attack. Didn't a story come out saying that they did have the information that an attack was going to happen? Yeah, the CIA for sure knew that shit. I think back then a lot of the big defense government agencies didn't they weren't as integrated and communicative as they are now. Because they were still privatized. Why, it wasn't until uh, yeah, they, Cheney got in office. And they didn't all have the resources um, no one flowing was talking back to each other between each but, other. Uh, the CIA uh, knew about it because of our involvement in the Gulf uh, in, earlier in the 90s. Um, okay. You know, the fact that we're directly responsible for Al-Qaeda even existing, welcome. let alone having the firepower. We can have a different conspiracy con- uh, Welcome discussion. to No Concessions, your favorite conspiracy podcast. 9-11 was an inside job. I would just like to say that I don't actually think it was an inside job. I don't think it was an inside job, but I do think it was avoidable based on information the federal government definitely had. I don't think it was an inside job. Wait a sec. I do. <laughs> Next <laughs> week on No Concessions, Loose Change, the documentary proving 9-11 was an inside job. This week's, <laughs> next week's sub- subgenre is things are definitely true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. No, I don't what actually think. What the fuck think. are we talking about? <laughs> 9-11 was not an inside job. Please Progressivism uh, ruined by 9-11. Yeah. Well, so prior from, to that, from Asian mysticism. Yeah, it was Asian yeah, so mysticism. The original, so in the original story, it's... Uh, so Lamont, blackest name, is... <laughs> Like a real like is like a dude who is wealthy. He's like a socialite uh, who's inherited a bunch, like, you know, has a bunch of money. He's proto Bruce Wayne, and he's just traveling. He's doing his thing, and this other like con man who like that's you know ended up in South America. Con man, uh, Genghis Con man. Whoa. <laughs> 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 
so the heat's getting getting to our brains. I so think. the guy who inexplicably <laughs> looks similar enough that he's able to like assume this guy's identity while he's overseas and goes back to New York to like investigate these crimes and ends up fighting crime as the shadow who's just a dude who wears a suit and a scarf to carry cover most of his face and he like straight up like cons this dude like hey I'm prepared to fully take over your identity to the point where no one will believe you so you're gonna let me do what I need to do using your resources while you're out of the country and I'm gonna do what I have to do it's very cool actually I really enjoy uh, those stories um Actually, the shadow was adapted uh, five times before Superman was even created, which I thought was very cool. But uh, yeah, it's just started off pulp adventurer stories. Uh, it wasn't until maybe 10, 15 years later into the 40s that there was any like semblance of supernatural stuff. And even that's only because of characters like Superman and Green Lantern who had power, like had superpowers. And they were like, we got to keep the shit dynamic. And they added the supernatural elements to it but uh, even before them like the stories are pretty solid i've read some of the early comic strips and they hold up like they're cool like noir like pulp noir uh adventure stories that use the medium really well i haven't listened to any of the radio plays but i've heard they're also very good i'll have to check out some of the radio plays i do know that some group went out and remade one of the radio plays. Mm -hmm. But I'm wondering whether or not the character is in public domain now because that would be pretty sick. It's not owned by Disney. Must be in public domain. Well, Disney is the reason that most of these other characters aren't because the law has to apply to all of them. It's such bullshit, It should be. So uh, Mickey Mouse is actually back up for public domain in 2024. But we know that's not, that's just not going to happen. No. Not a chance. Well, it depends on who wins the presidency. Final thoughts? Let's do final thoughts real quick. Yeah, you should check it out. All right. Shit's good. All right, watch it. We'll be back. You thought you were going to escape without being told about the Patreon? No way. Patreon.com slash no concessions. We got hell bonus content, a newsletter, a Doctor Who recap show, commentary tracks, bonus reviews, all kinds of stuff. You'll love it. Sign up at patreon.com slash no concessions. Patreon.com slash no concessions. And we're back with our titular segment, No Concessions. For the first time ever, we're doing the negativity version of No Concessions, where we talk about movies that we fucking hate, and we're not going to take no for an answer on it. Let's start with you, The Pretender. My negative No Concessions, and I don't know how much hate I'm going to get for this, but I don't care, because I will not concede, is Big Lebowski. Really? I have never heard anybody ever say that they don't like that movie, and I've tried so many times. I can't count how many times I've fired it up because I see it on Netflix or uh, just torrented a copy of it or I stumble across it because I've got a Saturday free. It is back on Netflix, I believe. Yes, this will be the day that I watch through Big Lebowski all the way through and find something redeeming about it, and I never can. I saw it once the entire way through and a couple good scenes here and there like with um john goodman beating up the car with the golf club or saying am i the only one who knows the rules here when he's pulling out his gun at the bowling alley (laughs) very funny objectively funny but a couple isolated good scenes for me can't redeem the rest of the movie because for me it just feels like they're meandering around and it's not very directionless film yes and i know that that's intentional too i've seen a bunch of other coen brothers movies they all kind of have a very slow pace especially considering the type of character the dude is jeff bridges Mm -hmm. and i like him as a character i like john goodman i like all the interactions between the protagonists john goodman is like straight up the highest point of like his scenes are the best scenes in that movie and not like when you said that i was like oh the bit of the good and then as you kept talking i was thinking about 
the scenes in the Big Lebowski. And you're right, that movie's not good. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I've converted one person. Okay, okay. There's so much going on in that movie, and fucking none of it matters. But like, not in like a in the way that like a lot of the Cullen Brother movies, like stuff is happening, and it's like very slice of life with like a very specific issue that the plot is circling around it's just even like the title of the film like how we get to that it's like this isn't even it's not good like the whole oh yeah they mixed up they have the same last name and so we fucked up the wrong dude the dude you're you're trying to extort has a fucking mansion and you're gonna fuck up some dude's apartment (laughs) and they even bring that up in the beginning of the movie they're like isn't this guy supposed to be like loaded or something and the two dudes leave and it's just like what the fuck I've I've seen approximately half of that movie most of that movie I've seen has been subtitled and muted at a bar because for some reason I, I go to this uh, brewery and every now and again they'll put it on mm-hmm. and just let it play through and it's really it's, I mean like people love the movie so there's a Lebowski fest people every like year in LA scenes from disgusting. that movie I feel like people like the set design of that movie but it's so weird and not in an interesting way like there's that weird trippy like dream sequence where Jeff Bridges is fucking dancing in a like a jumpsuit with the sleeves cut off and like I don't mind abstract sequences like that I mean I and Juliet I, Lewis. I just saw Too Old to Die Young. It's a TV show of nothing but, as Denzel says, masturbatory long takes. Pretty okay. cool show. It's not really good. It's not the kind of thing you can recommend to people, but I enjoy it's watching it. In a way that's, but know, Big Lebowski, you see those weirdo it, sequences, and yeah. it's like, well, to what end are you showing this? In even, what way does that inform the story? Yeah, even some of like, the scenes that are very funny sometimes go on too long, and you're like, you've lost it. You've lost You sold bit. past the sale. Like, even like, you know, like the scene at the end where like they're releasing Donnie's ashes, and it like you know they blow into the dude's face you're like that's a funny situation but like the some of the shots linger too long and like that scene's not just like over after that and like the stuff with uh what's his fucking name the the nihilist no the the jesus Oh, I don't the Jesus that is literally. Oh what it's yeah, called. that's I right. I remember the actor's name. He's in the Transformers movies. It's oh, yeah, John Turturro. Yeah, that's John right. Turturro. Who, man, that man's career is wildly varied. <laughs> you gotta have a whole conversation yeah. just about that shit. But um, yeah, like that stuff is funny conceptually. But like actually watching the scenes, I'm like, oh man, people just like like to say you don't fuck with Jesus because that's a funny set of words to put together. But like the scenes that he's in aren't good yeah 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 i'm on board uh the big lebowski sucks i'll have to watch it and i'll let you know charles united against (laughs) big lebowski (laughs) the one thing we agree on that and how to spell our name (laughs) (laughs) and who can say the n-word those are the three things we agree on (laughs) all right what's what's yours uh fucking batman returns okay batman returns isn't good you guys is that the Val Kilmer one? No, it's the second Michael Keaton one. <laughs> we are yes. Most of us wanted to. Most of us, a lot of us, got our first directions from Michelle Pfeiffer in the Catwoman suit. But <laughs> the movie's not good. Um, honestly, I don't really like the first Tim Burton Batman. It's fine. I I don't really care for it as a Batman movie. I like those movies stylistically. I like the style of it. They're garbage films. And Batman Returns, like, people give Joel Schumacher a lot of shit for Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, but at least his the, movies are fun. The campiness yeah. is turned up to infinity. Yeah, with those the movies. camp makes those movies enjoyable. Um, like the fucking scene where Dick Grayson is doing his laundry and he's like doing like kung fu shit with his wet clothes in the laundry room. <laughs> is so over the top that it's great it's so ridiculous that it becomes funny like genuinely like you start off making fun of it because it's bad and then he keeps going you're like this is fucking hilarious this is so funny that they commit to this bit for this long it's only like a four minute scene that's too long for that bit to go on and it becomes funny again and like uh jim carrey is like fun in that movie but 
in Batman Returns, it's still trying to have that like serious, like dour, atmospheric feel to it. But the characters, like Danny DeVito is the Penguin, has no direction as a character. Like the Penguin, you have no idea what that character wants at any given point. Either he's like really horny or really violent, or at his worst, both within 30 seconds. <laughs> and then like Max Shrek, um, Christopher Walken's character, is just like cart almost like if he had a mustache, he'd be fucking twirling it that whole movie. He's so like objectively just bad. And it doesn't fucking work. It's not good. There's no direction to the like to the bad guys. Batman is giving very little to do because it's oversaturated with these other big personalities. And it starts to like dial up the ridiculousness with like you know, Batman's gear and like the penguin having the umbrellas that do different shit. And uh Catwoman saying things that make no fucking sense. Um just overall, like the shit doesn't hold up, and it doesn't have any. It doesn't have any direction. It feels like a rust sequel, and it was. It came out in '92, after the first Batman came out in '89. So it's like we just have to, Warner Brothers. Was like we gotta, we caught lightning in a barrel, like in a bottle. We gotta get this shit out again, and it feels rushed, and it feels like they're trying to escalate it. It's like the Spider-Man Three problem, where there's too much going on, so you don't actually care about any of it, and you end up with like a very subpar product. The box office doesn't reflect that. People tend to remember that movie more fondly than the two movies that came after it. But uh, I would say that Batman Forever, you know, the Val Kilmer one with Tommy Lee Jones and Jim Carrey is notably better than Batman Forever. Batman Forever is a bad movie and we need to stop Wait, pretending. The Batman Returns from- or Batman Forever? Sorry, Batman Returns. Batman Returns is a bad movie and we need to stop pretending that Tim Burton's Batman movies are any better than Schumacher's films. They're just the same movies, but less fun. The one that I'm going to do this week is Funny Games, the, okay. the remake. So I've been told this multiple times, but like people, people say that it's supposed to be a commentary on the horror genre as a whole, and that it's supposed to subvert the genre with the different tropes that it employs and stuff. But when I watch that movie... The remake, anyway. Let me find out what year it was made. This is with the two the two guys who trap a family in a house, like some yeah. resort. Yeah. Right? The original was ninety seven. The remake was two thousand seven by the same director. Okay, cool. So yeah, a decade after uh, this this movie comes out, and I watch it expecting to see like anything decent because like this was one of the things that I had heard about that was talked up to me when I was like 17 and working at the movie theater and people talked about how much they loved the movie. And what I found was that it was just some like weird demented picture about a family being tortured. And they like, this was not to say that like I was, um, naive about how any of this stuff was like in horror movies but this is the first movie where i genuinely was like surprised that they murdered a child and like they shoot him with a shotgun and his brains are splattered all over the tv and i'm like this movie's fucking weird and it was it was weird after they killed the dog basically like towards the beginning i think and then nicole kidman like does like a slight escape but is captured anyway or some shit well you know what else is weird it's naomi watts Natalie Watts. Naomi Watts. Naomi Watts. Doesn't she manage to kill one of the guys and then the other guy hits like a rewind button on a remote and brings the guy back to life? Yeah, I think that's a hallucination. Some I don't know. Like he's a, like they're the protagonists of the movie, but they're just torturers. And like he loses his mind after his buddy is killed. And then so she he ties her up and like drops her in the lake. It's like, fuck, bro. It was like, it was one of the most dour movies that I've ever seen in my life. And it wasn't entertaining in any way. It's, it's how I imagine people felt after watching a Serbian film. I was going to say. <laughs> it's just like, what, what the fuck is the point of any of this? It yeah. was just to display cruelty for the sake of like displaying cruelty. Right. Like there's, was, there's nothing wrong with downer endings in movies, but what am like, I supposed to take away from yeah. the story? Like heroes started in you know place a their journey took them to z and along the way they learned but this movie gives you nothing yeah and it does subvert my expectations for horror in that i i explicitly expect horror movies to have a point like (laughs) even even if it's if the point is like yo we need to keep 
the anti god from coming back, like and like people are just kind of hanging out in this church in Little Tokyo. Yeah, shoutouts to the Prince of Darkness. <laughs> but this movie just seems like it's there just to be an expression of cruelty. And it's probably the same with something like Human Centipede. Yeah. Probably the same with uh, Hostel, like a bunch of these other torture porn movies where at least those movies are like outlandishly uh, horrific. Whereas this one is like horrific in the realm of possibility to the point where it's just a bland movie. And it's like, oh, cool. Like you're showing me something that could actually happen in real life. This is like a news story from the perspective of like... The home invaders. I'm going to introduce the audience to a genre, courtesy of TV tropes. This type of movie and Saw and Hostel and movies like that. Gorn. Gorn. G- gore porn. Gorn. Yeah. Yep. It's not something that I'm into, and I don't think I like. I would never recommend anybody watch this movie just because, like, if you're into torture porn, it doesn't go far enough. But if you're into like more subtle. I guess if you watched a ton of horror movies, like this would have meaning to you and maybe they make a bunch of like subtle references to shit. But like this movie, it's just bad. Like it's not even bad in the same way that a movie like Pulse is bad. Pulse was bad, like and kind of (laughs) charming because it was like really shitty. But this movie is just like, there's nothing going on and it's hard to watch. But anyway, funny games from 2007, not a good movie. Poorly named. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, uh, thanks for listening to this week's episode of No Concessions. You can find us on the website, noconcessions.net. We're on Twitter, at xnoconcessions, Instagram, xnoconcessions. And we'll uh, see you next week. Thank you, Charles and Charles and Charles, for coming on. (laughs) Find me and try to do your best to defend Batman Returns, you pieces of shit. (laughs) All right. What's your handle on Twitter? The Charles, zero one. Okay. Do you want to plug your... Are you even on Twitter? Uh, yeah, but I post nothing. Oh, okay. Well, never mind then. (laughs) If I get enough positive comments about this episode, (laughs) maybe I'll make a Twitter. Okay. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye. See ya.